I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, is it extra bright this morning or is it just me? Um, that's okay. Don't. Okay, thank you. I'm on the darker hues of humanity, so I want to make sure people can still see me. Um, but again, good morning to you. And um, we continue in our study uh, through the book of Habakkuk. And through the woes found in chapter 2 of this book. Woes are warnings, but they're also taunts. They're teasing for those who have been belligerent to God and violent and unjust to their neighbors. These woes were originally, as we've discovered already, written toward the Babylonians, a la the Chaldeans, for their nasty, imperialistic warmongering through the countryside, and in particular now, about to come upon God's people's country. Woe to those then, laughable before God, are the Babylonians who were great in their own minds and wrongly believed that they were getting away with atrocities against God's people. Little did they realize that they were but evil tools, right? In God's hands, dispensable, throw in the trash, burn after use tools. But woe also to God's people, who back then welcomed, and some of them even joined into the Babylonian ways, who had, were already acting like godless Babylonians before the Babylonians actually got there. So woe to us all, right? Whether we are religious or irreligious, for all the ways we live outside of God's grace. Last week, we saw how God teased and, and taunted those who were the takers and unlawful homemakers. Well, this way, well, this week, woe, hold up, watch yourself, aha, right? Tease to you bloody mares and bloody Marys. And once again, before you think I'm just trying to be cute with my alliteration, just letting y'all know, I'm a good student. Just following original Hebraic pro, pro, prophecy, flow of rhyme and alliteration, so that those of us who have a hard time remembering it can keep it in our hearts and minds. So apparently these Babylonians were, were kingdom builders, empire establishers. McDonald's and Starbucks don't have nothing on these world beaters. They were all about the Babylonian franchise and brand, and they would not only stop at nothing to plant cities committed to mainstream Babylonian vision, but they would stop your very heart to make it happen. They believed in demoralizing, intimidating, disheartening emotionally and physically anyone or group of people who would get in the way of their progress. According to the descriptions and, and history of the way the Babylonians took over the countryside, they probably dug as many graves as new building foundations and may have even built on top of graveyards for civic progress. They were oppressive, slave-driving, aldermen, city manager types. Not only that, but they were, as verse 17 describes, violent to nature itself. 
They built and and prospered by by killing and misusing and and overusing and polluting nature for their progress, cutting down too many trees, no care for conservation. They were the ancient version of modernistic consumers with no regard for anything or anyone in the way of their expansion and ingenuity and civic progress and city bigness. So read Habakkuk. It's been almost every week I've made a reference to Lord of the Rings. Seems like Tolkien must, he must have read this before, before writing the Lord of Rings, right? Because these Babylonians come across like they wanted to turn every city into Mordor. Is it Mordor or Mordorf? Yeah, okay. To rip up all the trees and humans out of the land to produce an evil agenda to make way for an army of amalgamated orcs and twisted kingdom agenda that will lay waste to people, nature, with a franchise wholesale economic. This was a fear market, not a free market, because they regulated and balanced gangsta and mob style. But this woe laughs. It laughs at such a philosophy of kingdom and city building, existing and, and growing and surviving on hatred and oppression and abuse and murder and natural resource mugging. Look again at verses 12 and the first part of verse 13 with me. It says, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor Merely for fire. And it is saying this. You who build cities on violence, when you build them on violence, you build what is immediately fit for the fire, right? The result of building a city on emotional or social or economic and physical cadavers, if you will, is anything but what a city is supposed to be. The use of fire here means that that God's judgment is going to come against it. Why? Because when we look at God's call originally to subdue the earth in Genesis, the newly created man was given the call in the Garden of Eden to build a civilization, cities and communities, but to share resources and diverse contributions and peoples working together. Cities should have been and are supposed to be the places that promote and support and sustain and celebrate life and preservation and care and appreciation of nature and grow in growing concern for human dignity. That's the reasons for cities. That's the reasons for communities. That's the reason God called Adam and Eve to subdue the earth. But these Babylonians in their backwards thinking believe they could be, they could plant and replant and plant on top of cities with bloodshed, with violence, with, with killing folks and their sense of worth at the least. Now, let me be honest with you, with you. These Babylonians were by far the most advanced civilization at the time. They were intellectually superior. They were ingenious but don't let that fool you. What they built was not a worthy city in God's eyes. But what they built was, read this, a landfill, right? Of bodies and dried up resources. And they called that a city because it looked good. 
And all of us know what eventually happens to bodies that can be buried and, and trash and waste from overused resources that can't and won't be recycled or buried. It gets burned. It's ripe for fire. And God is saying, if you are building or built a city or community or organization or movement or government on the demoralization or humiliation or oppression of people, you will end up with a jaw-dropping, show-stopping city of trash cause because you have trashed people and trashed God's creation. So the civic philosophy you have built on is burn-ready and burn-worthy. You have burned people. To get your kingdom, you have built a paper and wood kingdom. If you have built an establishment on blood and death, it will not live. God will cremate it and you with it, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. The reason these ancient so-called mayors or or civic tyrants and and political leaders and, and kingdom builders successfully built such trashy towns was that they were willing to do any and everything to get what they desired, and that would end up in nothing. Look back with me at verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. And it goes on, behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire? And get this, and nations weary themselves for nothing? It says that these leaders built and led these cities and and kingdoms on iniquity, sin, ungodliness. And then it describes this building in verse 13 as nations wearying themselves for nothing. You know what meaning for weary? It means to empty yourself, right? To exhaust yourself and all you have to reach your dream and vision. They worked with everything they had, the Bible is saying. They had to strain and stretch themselves thin and lose sleep and were even losing themselves morally. And as we saw, kill others to get it. To get this great empire and awesome cities, according to the Babylonian blueprint of success, they had to give everything away to get everything they wanted. Let me put it another way. There wasn't anything they wouldn't do to be free to do what they wanted to do. The Bible calls that being reprobate. It means this that they would give everything. I'm not talking about just money and sweat equity, but sweat iniquity, right? They would have to work extra hard to empty themselves of anything good or godly, to empty themselves of the little bit of God-created conscience that they would have, you know, stuff that would make you say no or don't do that or that's evil or anything that they would see as worth something or beautiful, and they would work hard to not see it that way. They would weary themselves and do whatever it took to strain at what was good to keep their driven ambitions alive. They worked hard in turning away and pushing down and suppressing God's goodness and grace. I've heard it said that the most dangerous Man or woman in the world is one with nothing to lose. 
the most dangerous place rather to be is before, before God as a man or woman who's willing to lose everything to get anything because they will not only end up with nothing, with emptiness, but will get judgment before God. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, you will, verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the, glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here is judgment for bloody mares. They will fall in their climb for power and prominence and be forgotten and come to nothing. But God and his kingdom that look like nothing to them, the kingdom of God that they sought hard to ignore, will wash them away and arise and they will be forgotten and covered and God will never be forgotten. We went through some of this last week, but many of our families, many of our communities, much of what makes this country and our, makes countries and our country great has been and is and will be built through oppressive, abusive, demoralizing, dehumanizing, usury, and unnatural means and ways. And I promise you, no matter how high it is written, no matter how great the GNP is or how thick the foundation is, God will burn it down and bring it to nothing and drown it out with his glory and power if it is built on violence and evil and iniquity and dehumanization and all the things that are unjust and unlawful before God. I'm like these bloody mares. Many of us are living, giving everything and almost anything. We are killing ourselves, ironically, to live the life we want. We have killed and killing our sensitivity to evil. Some of us have literally killed our ability to feel sexually or emotionally right in the correct way. We have gouged the eyes of our hearts out so that we can ironically see success one day. We have become hard and hated and strong by the weakening, by weakening the God effect on our lives. We will not let him have this or that relationship or philosophy. And we will, some of us, do anything to hold on to control of our pleasures and desires to make us secure and happy. We are a city unto ourselves. And guess what? You and I will lose the tug of war. The more you give or give over to do what you shouldn't, the more you give of yourself and sense of God-given worth, diminishing and debasing yourselves as others for maybe that relationship, that boyfriend, for that job, for the money, for those people, for whatever to be on top, letting those wrong views of God and world and others and self to franchise all over your life, all of that, my body, my choice. I can love who I want, when I want, how I want, to do what I want with it, even if it means killing and marginalizing and misusing the lives of even the smallest and most innocent who get in the way of your desired community and personal laws, you and your own, you are your own mayor. And I tell you, Mr. or Miss Mayor, God is promising you, you are building a paper skyscraper 
near the flame of his holiness and his unstoppable mission to be Lord. And it will not only burn you out to nothing and evict you from the land he is Lord over, but he will wash over you like a sea on top of a shipwrecked life. Habakkuk's hard. (laughs) Whoa. To us, who are willing to ignore and disregard what God is saying in his word so we can live the way we want, so we can establish our own enterprises, our own kingdoms, our our own cities, to let whoever we want in and out because we say so. Woe to you, bloody mayors, but woe to you, bloody Marys. Not as in Bloody Mary, the 16th century Queen of England, who went on a bloody campaign to make England Catholic again, burning many at the stake. Yeah, yeah, woe to her too. But woe metaphorically as in Bloody Mary's, the cocktail. You know, don't act surprised. Hour or so, some of you will be making a choice between a mimosa and a Bloody Mary. Comes with that brunch. I don't know nothing about that. I don't drink those things. But I've seen them, and I've seen some of y'all drink it. Look at verse 15 with me. It says, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Hmm. We have this vivid, intoxicating metaphor of the powerful Babylonians not only enjoying their evilness on their own, but making others join in, welcoming them, to, welcoming them in to be part of their party, right? Part of their drunkenness, to make some of their, to have some of their party juice, to join in. But let me explain this further so you can get the sinister nature of it. Wine, drinking a day, was what was reserved for people that you thought were special and whom you loved. You served wine, good wine for your guest of honor. It's like coming to one of your house. Hey, you want a beer? You want some wine? You want something to drink? You want some lemonade? It's a way of saying, hey, hello, I like you. Have something to drink. But this passage says that they poured their wrath into the drink. They served the people they ruled. They put a national Mickey Finn in it. I don't intend to be insensitive or flippant, but they laced the drink with a date rape jug. That's the part about wanting to gaze upon their nakedness. In other words, they wanted the people they conquered to get drunk with a hated agenda, not a love and care agenda. These leaders gain the trust and power over their people and use that trust and power, those promises, those false promises, to drug them, to drag them in and drag them out, to humiliate and bully and demoralize them at the highest or rather lowest and most debased level. This is lacings, lacing. Someone's drink to undress them, to make them naked, and then as you actively abuse or violate them, take a video and then post it on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube with a smile and a mission accomplished agenda. 
When I, when I study this passage, this is one of the cruelest things someone can do to their adversary. Just because you are hateful and want to crush them and take their heart and dignity away. This is evil. But this mode of operation, this was the mode of operation for these big kingdom bullies like Babylon. It, it appeared like they were coming with advancements and city growth and wealth and relationships. You can be with the big dogs and prosperity and hope and power and even love. And they dominate and control after they rip your heart and dignity out through humiliation and propaganda and brainwashing and shame. They even silence you through guilt and shame and blackmail. I don't know whether this has happened to any of you. Probably all of us in some way that we believed an offer financially or an advance romantically, promised protection or spiritual care or governmental rights or mercy or, 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 or dream, a dream fulfillment. And they offered it like a drink, but it was filled to destroy you to abuse you, to take advantage of you, for them to suck the life out of you for their own life and pleasure. Maybe it was a bank with the perfect credit card. Or those marketing ads that lie to you on TV, right? Or, or Google search that led to the wrong site, right? The pornography industry, those body heart snatchers who troll for lonely men and women who are down on their luck and even children. It may even be a spouse or family member. We live in a society and in situations where there is little justice for Mickey Finn relationships, for laced relationships, when you are a citizen, you're, you, you're a member, you're under someone's care, a child, a date, a spouse, you took the drink, right? You signed your name, you went to the party, you drank too much, you married them, you said you were in love. It is that kind of sinister stuff where in your nakedness, you have to face more shame, impossible shame to get justice or end up not getting justice or freedom from guilt and pain. If this is, has and is happening to you, or if you are the one doing it, whoa. Because God says this in verse 16. Look with me. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around you and utter shame will come upon your glory. This is what it's saying. Those who manipulate, make others drink, who lead people into sin, who are leaders encouraging sin, who are tricking and tripping people into their sinful actions and stories to shame them. He is saying God is not only going to make them drink their own drink, give them a taste of their own medicine, get their own Mickey Finn, but in that drink, God is going to mix his divine get back in judgment. And this is what will happen. They will not be filled with satisfaction of getting over on someone but they will be shamed as the drink makes them get naked. And the Bible says when it says, show your uncircumcision, not to be crude here, but this is what the Bible says. It says, in your nakedness, spin around, frolic, shake it around, dance around so the whole world would see their nakedness. 
but not just their stuff, but it says uncircumcised, which means this. They will be shamed in a way that declares God shames you. God says you are wrong. You are definitely wrong. You are against God. You are like and living like and treated others like the devil, like an ungodly fool. And God will make you do a drunken, humiliating, naked, disgusting to yourself dance. Then if that wasn't enough, obviously it wasn't. When it says that your shame will come on your glory in verse 19, a better translation is, These evil, manipulative, abusive leaders will vomit all of their so-called fun all over themselves. It's the reciprocated judgment of God that folk who manipulate others, who lord over others and use that to abuse others will sit in their own putrid vomit. They will at their own party be party fouled, naked and puked on. And in that there is no glory, but only humiliation. Now there was some immediate justice in this because eventually the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, loses his mind. One day he's in, the, he's in the throne room making wise decisions, leading the most advanced nation in the world. And the Bible says one day he lost it, T- took his clothes off and ran into the field. It was eating grass like an animal. And everybody knew. He even knew. God's judging me. <laughs> God is on me. God will expose evil and evildoers in open, truthful, and honest rebuke for what they do to shame and demoralize people. He will uncover what was a cover-up and bring it into the light, all that was in the dark. God will not be mocked, and he will not let those who are his be mocked evil. If they have sown abuse and humiliation, demoralization, and bullying and misusing their offices or places of authority over you, they will be deposed and exposed. God promises that. For those of you who've had to endure the abuse and humiliation of oppressive, controlling, and dogging experiences by people, whether corporations, organizations, governments, I know how the idea of someone getting and experiencing the same shame and suffering you did and do, how satisfying and satiating it can feel that that person or government or leader that got over on you, someone gets over on them. What a good feeling to see it happen. Sometimes you're like, when something happens to somebody on TV, you're like, yeah, I can sleep good tonight. but God has so much more for you than that. He's offering more than revenge in this passage. 
He adds wrath for damage and disgrace, right? But, but there is even more. And for those of us who are about to have to face the shame of God for the ways we have manipulated and walked out and all over our relationships and left people high and dry and hurt and shamefully open, openly wounded, we've all participated in something like that. We sure hope there is more than to be twirled around and exposed shame and left in the vomit of our mistakes. Good news. Woe to you bloody mares and spiked bloody marys. This is about God taking your shame away by putting it on the guilty or on someone else and having someone else to drink the cup of wrath that you have and should endure for your and other sins. What will take the pain and shame away whether you've experienced it or dished it out? For you who have drunk and been made to drink the wrath and abuse of others. This is hard. But I want you to look beyond the justice and forgiveness you can seek from the person and government that did this to you or to the person you did it to. Though they deserve to be judged and you too, get this, they can't give you all that God is offering you in your shame and abuse and shaming and abusiveness. Remember, I'm not saying there isn't justice now. I'm not saying there is not penalty now. But I want you to remember, some of you who know the story of Jesus, the night he was taken away to eventually be crucified, in prayer, he looked up to the Father God and proclaimed, Father, if this cup can pass by me, if there's any way I won't have to drink from this cup, let it be, but your will be done, not mine. You know what cup Jesus was talking about? The same cup in verses 15 and 16. When Jesus was humiliated for sinners like you and me, he drank the cup of the world's wrath, letting himself know, feel it, experience the abuse and humiliation and nakedness as he sat there exposed and basically naked on the cross in a shameful death. He allowed himself to experience all the abuse and neglect and manipulation and scorn you have felt at the hands of the evil and strong and misguided over you. Jesus not only experienced on the cross the shame you and I endure, and endured. But more than that, he drank the cup of wrath intended for the abusers. He drank the cup of wrath God intended for the Babylonian kings, the shamers, and the manipulators, and the users, and the dehumanizers, and the oppressors. Jesus drank the cup of God's divine get back to be beat and exposed and bearing sin like an uncircumcised fool before God. Not only so the vilest and cruelest can find forgiveness, but so the most abused and mistreated individuals and people groups can get justice and healing. Your abuser, your oppressor will never give you justice and freedom and healing you deserve and can't get for yourself. 
but Jesus can. And he did. He took what your abusers should have so that they can look to him and know you can live and learn to live even if slowly but deliberately and surely out of shame that's been put on you, out of abuse, out of humiliation, to live in the sun of his life, to walk with your head up high. Saying, yes, I've been abused. Yes, I've been shamed. Yes, I've been manipulated. Yes, I went to the party and took the drink. Yes, I gave myself over to this. Yes, I did it. But Lord Jesus, if you drank the cup of God's wrath for me, I can live in a new freedom. To walk with your head up. And God knowledge and glory and beauty and demand the world in Jesus' name that you won't and can't and shouldn't be treated or treat yourself in that way. Jesus was bloodied by you mares and drank your bloody Mary so you and I can begin and once again enjoy God to actually hear and experience his truth. Form authentic relationships when they've been broken down for the first time and once again, and face the world, and even look at yourself in the mirror with the renewed dignity that comes from Christ. The dragnet Amen. of your grace, which just, just goes. Heavenly Father, we thank you.